everybody. Since we are either starting a new series or reading a standalone book, I am jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal, and we are not reading any books that depict real people as their characters in any way or are based on historical events. Second rule is that we are judging everything off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, or the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come from personal experience, not professional training. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all listeners, so please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. This week, we are discussing the Hork Bahir Chronicles, set in the Animorphs universe by K.A. Applegate. We learn about the Hork Bahir before the Yerks and meet a young Visser Three. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And this is Books That Burn. Alright, for the Hork Bahir Chronicles, we have Aldria Eskillen Falan, her father, Prince Ciro. Her brother, Barafin, and then her mother, I looked, I cannot find her mother's name. I don't think we ever get her mother's name. Ah, I hate when that happens. Uh, Especially when we, we have, have everyone else's first name. <laughs> like, everyone else. We have random hork names, and we don't have Aldria's mother's name. We have name. random Yurks, and we don't have Aldria's mother's name. Ah, uh, okay. All right, continuing with the factions. We have Dakhemi... Esplin 9466, Aller and Scimitar Karas, Quatsinicon, Various Geds, Jagil and Delph, and then technically we have Tobias, Jerahemi, Ket Halpak, and Toby Hemi. But that's in the framing device and not the main storyline. Are you ready for Esplin 9466? Oh, yeah. Yes. Let's no, talk about this maybe? awful. <laughs> no, All that's right. mean. That's not really mean to him. So we're just talking about this book and not the monster he becomes. Yes. That we, should, we should be clear that we know him by another name during the main series. And if you've already read the main series, you know what it is. And if you haven't, you don't care and technically we? they don't say the name in that text technically this book set does not say that name anywhere it it doesn't should we refer nope. uh esplin he's esplin robin yes i will cut this if i need to mm -hmm. it is entirely possible that there will be people that will listen to this podcast that will listen to this episode that have read the main bulk of the animorphs books and don't care to read the chronicles and want to listen to our episode to just get our opinion of the story and will and actually know the whole main story that 
is a strange combination of things that I have not considered. Lovely listeners, if you are in that camp, <laughs> I apologize for not considering you. S19466 is Visser 3. Yeah. And I'm only I'm only putting that out there because we did have a discussion like three minutes ago about the fact that you personally didn't care about about some of those extra books for a very, very, very long time. No, I cared about them. I didn't know they existed. But that's but I was I'm saying like it it's possible for people, yeah, and and that doesn't mean that they don't want to hear this episode because it might be the thing that decides whether or not those extra books are worth it. We don't know. So, we should we should be so yeah, Esplin Esplin will eventually become Visser 3. Yes, but not yet. Not yet. Uh he's super busy being various He's super busy being various kinds of subvisor, and I'm not worried about all those designations. No, we don't care about those. How he's primarily known, and nope. and they don't last outside this book anyway, so they don't, they do do not matter. He leaves them in his past. All right, so Esplin nine four double six. We are talking about him, and uh, also talking about our separate second topic, because just because someone is hurt doesn't mean that they cannot also be a perpetrator. And Esplin is a very extreme example of this. And then our uh, second character topic is a still significant example of this. Yeah, we have a pretty, uh, I don't know, villainous cast of main characters. (laughs) Yeah, it is. This is a perpetrators get hurt sometimes too book. And uh, so we had an interesting conversation um, when we were kind of figuring out what we were talking about this episode, because Robin and I have very, very different opinions on Esplin in so, this book. My the general shape of my opinion is that in this book, uh, he is traumatized by losing access to senses that he only had by taking over another creature's body. And it's a very narcissistic reaction. He feels helpless. But also, when we're taking the perspective that the author has inflicted trauma on the character, the author created a species that can't have a full existence without some form of symbiosis with other species. A lot of the time, that symbiosis takes the form of parasitism. Uh, There could be an argument that when the Yurks parasitize the Geds, that it's actually commensalism, where the Geds aren't harmed, but they're also not hurt. And parasitism is where the host is hurt. And my general opinion of Esplit is that he is, quote-unquote, traumatized, much in the same way that an abuser feels traumatized when they lose access to their victim and that he is traumatized in the same way that a narcissist blames the person that they are controlling emotionally feeding off of when that person asserts boundaries or denies them access and i and i will i will so full disclosure without spoilers i am of this opinion because of part partly i'm of this opinion uh, my my opinion on the yurks as a race and their designation with the jeds is actually an opinion that is formed based on uh evidence that we have 
in another book in the series, and I'm not going to get into spoilers in that book, but I have reasons that I believe that they are more, more have more of a mutualism um, with the Jeds, and then they are parasitic toward any other species. Like, I have reasons for that from a different book, but I stand firm <laughs> in my opinion of, of that being the case. Now, with Visser 3... being the situation where both species benefit. Yes. Uh, I, I don't think it's as simple as one of them just kind of is along for the ride. Like, no, they, there's some, there's some other contextual evidence to support, um, it, it being very, very beneficial to both parties. And we're going to have a long argument when I get to that point in my reread, because. Yeah. <laughs> when, when Robin actually reads that book, we're going to talk about to it. To be for clear, real, I have probably read them off air. Before, but when I refer to that point in my reread, what I mean is that, hey, if anyone was paying attention to our Facebook and Twitter in February, or in January, February, and probably a little bit of March, it's January right now, so I'm just projecting how long this will take, where I was doing a whole bunch of Animorphs reviews, that's because we were doing this book and I camouflaged it with rereading the entire series. <laughs> reading all of and, the 62 plus books. So And reviewing all, it's 64. Is it 64? I don't remember. It, I, it's 64, but I don't remember if that's with or without Alternomorphs. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, Visser 3, my... I I also will do want to say, like, my opinion of Visser 3, I think, is a little bit colored by the way I treat abusers who try and make themselves appear the victim when they're essentially told stop or have boundaries put up because that's a very that's a very like common thing in real life where an abuser feels upset and hurt and when they're denied access to their victim in any way shape or form and my my very very hard strong reaction is to look at that person and say you're not the victim you're just upset that you don't get to control and hurt this other person anymore and to be clear i do agree about I do agree with that for Esplin. Oh, I, oh yeah, but it's yeah. it's just I f I feel like I feel like I my opinion on Esplin is just very very colored by that being my reaction. I don't think he's a victim. I don't think he's traumatized. I think he's just upset that you know what? Maybe you don't get access to other living creatures at your whim. Maybe you don't get to just take over sentient beings for kicks just because you like it, like. That's that's where I look at that and say, I don't think he's traumatized. So at my all. argument for why he is traumatized, but also I'm going to contrast it with how much more the other Yerks, some of them are traumatized. Yes, we, we do need to talk about that because that I that I do actually think is trauma. <laughs> you you push. Well, yeah. So currently Nikki's pushing back after about something that I haven't articulated. Here's my articulation. Uh he has access to so so the yurks are a parasitic species that are basically slugs in liquid and they have the ability to get inside the brains of other creatures and control them and the host is a knows what's happening and can't do anything about it and it is a i can't use my mouth but i must scream situation <laughs> if you're a species that has a mouth um 
so which is not which is negotiable in this series. <laughs> yeah. Antlets don't have mouths. Anyway, uh so he gets in a host for the very first time in this book. Well, for the second time, it sounds like there was some other unspecified other instance that didn't have as many senses. He gets in a host for a meaningful time and is just astounded and kind of like squishes the Ged's brain down. He he then is taken out of the Ged because there's a lot of Yerks and not very many host bodies and you gotta train him. Mm-hmm. And he yes, it is a narcissistic reaction, but he is hurt and upset by no longer having access to these extra senses. But totally, it is a parasitic, it is a narcissistic reaction about being denied something that he feels is owed to him when it it is not. And I do agree with that. So then with the Yerks that are not him, uh, he he apparently talked to some of his friends and family after uh, his experience in the host. And most of them were... Uh, traumatized by being in a host because like having senses and limbs and eyes and oh, it's too much. It was very disorienting and stressful. And I liked, even though he is a terrible, terrible person, uh, I liked that by getting his perspective, we got a window into the York society in this cool way. So part of why I wanted to talk about him and also because, again, people aren't terrible and also never victims, but that doesn't excuse anything that they do. And I wanted that opportunity, this opportunity to make that point because we've had a lot of like clear cut, this person gets hurt, this person's the one hurting other people. And I like how this like messes with that like black and white sense like there's there's gradients but it doesn't stop some people from being very far on the side of they are inflicting way more pain than they have experienced oh i mean absolutely i just i don't know i feel like our our next topic is going to be much more of a uh, it's gonna be more give and take. We're there. gonna be more yeah. in agreement because our our, ne- our next topic is definitely somebody who was hurt and then turns around and hurts other people. I just really feel like Esplin is just he he's just he wants this thing, even at the cost of other people, and he had a taste of it, and now he just wants to control other people forever, and that's just how he wants to live. And later on, he controls a mind that is not as easily... It is as easily squished, but it's not as quiet. And, um... Yeah, like, there's there's a lot of just... There's a lot of just, like, Esplin wants it, and if he's denied, he doesn't throw, like, a toddler tantrum, but that's only because he was never a human toddler to have that as an example. <laughs> like, like he's, he's a, he's an alien creature. He does not throw a human toddler tantrum, but he literally has access to this other living creatures, senses and body, and then is upset when it's taken away even temporarily. And like, no nah, man, that's not your, 
Like you don't you don't get to be hurt by being denied that. Like that's not your like I just feel like it's not his right to even like he's literally he's literally like upset that he can't just control living creatures all the time. And yeah. sorry, I must. So Nikki, you're saying that his right to swing your fist ends Wait, at what? your face. His right to swing your fist ends at your face. I'm sorry. I, I guess. <laughs> I do know the thing you're quoting, but also, like, I don't understand the, the twist that just happened, but it's okay. Um, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I just feel like, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think he's definitely somebody, like, I, I, I did agree that he should be our topic. I just, I don't know. I feel like Robin and I just have very different reactions to his character which is which is important for us to talk about because just because so this this is something where the way an author shapes the way they treat their characters in the book gives people their opinions and i i do find it very very interesting that robin and i both read the same things about Esplin in his early life and came to different conclusions even so far as like whether or not he's traumatized like I just find it like that's you know that's really the conversation here is that um, K.A. Applegate set up this character who is upset when he's not allowed to just do whatever even with other people's free will <laughs> Like, he's upset when he's not allowed to run roughshod over it. And it's written in such a way where we can make our own, our own opinion of that. And I think I compartmentalize really characters a lot more than you do is part of it. That's and fair. So yeah. I, I have a lot more of, like, tiny pieces of information that I can look at separate from each other and then place them into a frame and it feels more like you just kind of like have more of a holistic view than I do. Well, I mean, we've we've talked in our lifetimes multiple times about the fact that you are very much a data pe- bytes person and I'm very much of a formulaic system person. I I'm that person who sees the world like a, a bush of that one spider who makes 3D circular webs in the bush and if you pull one string these 17 things shift slightly like that's how i see everything i i very much don't compartmentalize and and robin no i definitely like (laughs) keep my head down focus on one small bit of this complicated thing at a time and then like like i build very complicated spreadsheets oh yeah but, but one cell at a time. <laughs> one cell at a time, and often I look at the spreadsheet that I made and I am disoriented by how much went into it, and I'm like, oh boy, sure glad I didn't have to do all of that at once. And see, like, I I grasp onto things that require me to track multiple thread lines in synchronicity because I need it to be that complex because I will, I will pull like it's, it's, I think you're, I think you're right. I think it is partly a difference in how we process also musical training in a way that I did not keep up with. Cause my brain just hated that. It was, and not I thrive helpful for me. I thrive on that. It is, it is, I think 
part of the reason I really love music is that it is always that complex. Yeah, uh, yeah. they are heartbeat art who made all our music. Like, hello. Yep. Yep. Moving on to Aldria, Death and Revenge. The very big thing that happens that is the main trauma for her is that her family is killed in front of her in very dramatic beam from space right as she runs up and is too late to <laughs> warn them fashion. Perfect timing for her to not get injured by the heat or the, or the laser. Exactly. But also see it all in crisp rendered detail. Yeah. Uh, it's done very dramatically where like she describes them still being alive and it's like, I don't want to think what happens next. Okay, chapter change. Here's what happened next. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Can I was, just like, say props to K.A. Applegate because... There are some uh, authors that will do that kind of thing that I read it and it's like stressful to read and it's like frustrating to read. K.A. Applegate, the way that she does it, I mm-hmm. never dislike that kind of transition and she does it kind of a lot. Yeah. I, I just think it's done very well. Just a good job. <laughs> uh, so now that her family is dead, she swears revenge and she had already been manipulating Dak but like <laughs> ramps it up to use him to make their goals align in a align maybe uh align um, is a very strong word she works very hard to make him to make her goals feel, into his <laughs> to make him feel like their goals are lining up but he keeps seeing through it and being like why are <laughs> you doing that you could just say what you want Yes. Yeah. No. Um, do, do we want to so do we want to kind of say our like our rundowns? You you can start. Sh- sure. Yeah. So, um, part of why I wanted to talk about Aldria, even though Nicole had stated prior to the podcast that they didn't like Aldria, it's okay. I don't like Aldria either. Uh, I don't like Aldria because of terrible things she does in a book that is not this one. Um. Uh, part of why I wanted to talk about her is because she's part of the general shape of kind of what feels to me like the theme of this book to be that you can be a victim and a perpetrator. We already talked about this uh, with Esplin, but it's more nuanced and it's more like squishy with Aldria because Esplin is a clear cut villain in the rest of the series as Visser 3 and Aldria is not in it very much. I, that's the kindest thing I can say about her. <laughs> uh, Nicole. Okay. So you had your take. My my thought process with this character is I love her as a character. She's very well written. She's very for for a book with very few pages. She's very nuanced. And also she does a good job of being a a villain who sees themselves as the hero. And the way the text is written, we we get like a pretty good view of like Aldria sees herself as this the heroic trying to survive victim of all of these things. And at the same time, we also have Dak looking at her going, hey, 
I know that you're awful. <laughs> but also, like, like, we're still this thing. So here's, here's, here's my opinion on Andrea. She starts out manipulating Dak into codependency in a way that where I, I honestly would argue that I think that she does genuinely care for Dak as a like an I care about you kind of way. But I would also argue that it's kind of it's it's very much in line with the narcissistic abusive spouse. She very much she's very controlling of him. She's very manipulative of him. She is very she very she pushes him into codependency in a way that looks abusive to me by and she says it. Like that's the thing. She explicitly says in the text that she is she gives Dak information and understanding of maths and science and andalite just understanding of of the universe the universes i think even and she does it not because she thinks she wants him to have the knowledge and not because he wants the knowledge but she does it because then he is dependent on her and she says that outright in the text there's there's and there's and later in the book there's a moment where Aldria, where they're Doc, the Horkba here are under threat of extermination through uh, chemical genetic warfare, a virus warfare. I think that's is that chemical yeah. warfare, biological warfare, biological. War- that's the word I'm looking for. Okay, they're under threat of biological extermination with bi- through biological warfare, and Aldria looks at Dak and says, "I'll turn into a Horkba here." forever i'll morph and get caught in that morph and then we can be together forever and we'll live or die together and dak looks at her and just thinks you're lying to me and then later after i don't remember if he calls her out on it out loud or just in his head i I, or if we just had his perspective for that i think it was his perspective because i think it was her perspective going into that base that that room and then it switched perspectives and then she said it and he was like "Ooh, you know you won't (laughs) this is a trick this is a lie she's lying again to me again for no reason again instead of being truthful again um but then after then there's this moment where esplin finds out that aldria is not only a is not only the the Andalite body that he craves above all, but also has this morphing capability that until he finds out about it at mo- that moment, no Yurk knew about, and really, honestly, like, a handful of Andalites even knew about, because it wasn't just general tech at the time. It's uh, kind of a plot point that a lot of Andalites don't know about it. It's what lets her do yeah. some of what she does. Yes. Like, she, she has this thing through child nefarious proximity to scientists who just were you know, letting the kid have some fun kind of kind of thing. It was kind of the, the perspective that we're kind of handed. Uh, Gentle but it, pushback on the word nefarious, but otherwise I have no qualms with that uh, assessment. I mean, she uses it nefariously. <laughs> she, it, it's, I would, the only reason I say it's nefarious is because, like, her parents don't know. And she takes great pains to never let them know 
the whole time. Like she's she knows that she's not supposed to have this ability. Like it's not it's not just like secret tech that they just didn't have access to. Like no, it's a it's a secret that she is keeping. Even like yeah. <laughs> uh anyways, there's a we could talk about that for a while too. Like there's a whole thing with her dynamic with her parents, but moving on. She so then Esplin finds out that this this Andalite body that he wants also has the has this morphing ability and after she finds she knows that he knows that she can do this and lives that's the point where she actually transforms into a hork bahir and then stays there forever and there's very and then and and Dat calls her out on it then and basically says like hey I thought you were lying and she literally looks him in the face and goes oh I was I was lying to you I'm not lying now, and I'm doing it for real now, but I 100% lied to you before. And everything she does is just using him because she wants something. And she looks him in the face and lies and manipulates to him, and when he calls her out on it, she goes, yeah, you're right, I'm being awful. Like, I half (laughs) wonder if she really would have stayed in the morph if they hadn't gotten knocked unconscious. I don't know. That's a very good point. I have no idea. Like, that's a good question, honestly. And, yeah. No idea. Yeah, that's my opinion on Aldria. I think she's a great character. I think she's a terrible person. And I think that her relationship with Doc is is super codependent and manipulated. She wanted him to be codependent kind of way. And And there's language like, oh, "Oh, if they were... (laughs) Uh, I must like him because if there were other Andalite... Basically, it's like, if there were other Andalite males, I'd be very horny right now, but there's just Dak, so not sure what's gonna happen. Yeah, Uh, like, she's like, well, you know, I'm of the age to be interested in males, and man, if only I I could choose someone from my own species, uh, I guess this one will have to do, like... Guess I'll just join his species. (laughs) Yeah. Also... There's no hesitation when, like, the way she gets the DNA for the hork behir that she turns into. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. There's like she, no consideration no permission. that she's... U- it's just, look how acquiring works. See me acquiring somebody? Yeah. Like, okay, let's... Even putting aside the whole, would the hork behir... Uh, oh, what's her name? I know we wrote it down. Would um, Delph? Would Delph even have been able to consent? Like that's a whole like. Okay, acquiring an animal that is physically incapable of communication with you and is non sentient is a whole different discussion than acquiring a creature who is sentient and can't understand to give consent. That's a whole different... Th- those are like... Like, Aldria, acquiring that flying treetop creature is not the same thing as acquiring a being that has a mind of its own outside of instinct. Canonically May I bring speaking. bring a little bit of a perspective? Like, I, I agree with you. I just have more thoughts in yeah, this direction. Absolutely. Go for it. Um, I would like to bring in a perspective that I have from reading the first 13 books and then this book which okay. is the proper reading 
order if you're trying to get the best. Oh yeah, if you're no trying to spoilers, go like quote unquote chronologically. <laughs> yeah, if you're trying to get the order that makes the most sense and will have the fewer spoilers at every turn. Yeah, that's what you should do. Yep. Um, at this point, the animorphs in the continuity of when the author did these, the animorphs mm. have already had discussions of like, is a whale so intelligent that it crosses yeah. ethical lines to be able to morph? So my main yeah. point with it is we know the author has thought about this. Yes. The author has yes. thought about this a lot and written about this a lot. And I'm not going to spoil what the animorphs decide about all this. Cause like, right. you know, read the series, <laughs> but we're, we, we have evidence that the author puts thought into this elsewhere and then oh that makes this deliberate exactly and then aldria just acquires uh delph with no like hey can i be can i can i look like you right like there there would have been ways to frame it like is it okay if i look like you for a bit is it okay if i if i hold your hand and become a hork bahir like, the book I want immediately to be with, like, before nothing. this, which establishes Jera and Ket, who are in the framing device, mm-hmm. um, the book immediately before this, they are Hork-Bahir of average Hork-Bahir intelligence, and permission is still asked before anybody acquires them. Yes. And then back to back this book, there yep. isn't. It's totally deliberate. I feel more and more like Aldria just is a villain. Oh no! I, yeah, absolutely. Aldria, I, this is was, this is such a rare. I feel like book where we absolutely have. We don't just have a villain where it's like, ooh, fan fiction from their point of view. They they're gonna think themselves the hero. Like, no, we have a canonical book with a villain as the main character who sees themselves as a victim while they go around doing their villainous deeds. And in this book, we have two. I think I yeah I. And I had never thought about it before this way. I had been like, <laughs> oh, I don't like Aldria, but I guess she's a good person. Oh, I I, I have never of- seen Aldria as a good person reading this series. Yeah. Like, never. If I viewed just this book, I was like, oh, revenge. That makes sense. Like, <laughs> in middle school, like, when I was reading these the most, middle school and a bit into high school, like, I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. I was like, oh, Andalites are good. Yerks are bad. And oh my gosh, I'm moving on. Like, not that I didn't have any nuance, but I didn't right. have you didn't have I didn't this. Ha- I didn't have this level of it, mm-hmm. and so I'm really glad we're talking about this. Um, I am. We have Dak Hami, and oh, so much, so much happens to Dak. Uh big there's a lot of the big there's like there's a lot of big things overarching and related to our last topic thing is that he's being manipulated by aldria the existential reason why (laughs) his species exists is being manipulated by the arn the back to aldria manipulated into murder and teaching his whole species to murder um, with the added weight that he is literally the only Hork Bahir, unless there's a seer in one of the other valleys, he's the only Hork Bahir 
that we know of who can even understand what a monumental shift is because for all the other ones that's just what they're doing now yeah there there is some there's a lot going on with there's, Dak. there's a lot going on with Dak. and can i just say okay so talking about how you know how the author treats Dak, i i i really like that again we get an author who takes a character who's being manipulated and has that character in in a book ex- like actually kind of written for for like middle schoolers written mm-hmm. for children we get again an author who has a character who is being manipulated who directly calls out that manipulation and says you are manipulating me and this yeah. time this time it's not gaslighting it's just straight up lies mm-hmm. but also like a lot of passive aggressive. A lot of passive aggressive, yes. Yeah. But but we have this the way the character is treated, Dak is a victim and also given the voice to say, Hey, that's not okay. Now, does Dak really have like I don't know, any like actual agency in the situation, or is he just kind of along for the ride? Like he's got kind of false agency, but he's really just kind of at the mercy of his manipulators, but we don't see him just believing the lies. And I think... I I I think Dak has a lot of agency, he just has mostly bad options. Well, that would be the lack of agency part. (laughs) I feel like like if you don't have options, your agency is being taken from you. Which is... So, like, I think think we're just wording it different. I meant agency in an intellectual capacity in comparison to the other work, but here... Agency as a character, yeah. oh, it's limited. Yeah, his I meant, I meant is, agency as like a his narrative a agency is very limited. Yeah, his character design in comparison to his peers' agency is very expanded. Yes. Um. um but yeah, like I just, I, I, I just want to, I just wanted to, to you know, say props to Ka for. Mm-hmm. It, it's very well written and it's and again it's written without him having to fix it it's just a thing and it's pointed out as it's done uh like so he's he's really tw- he's really pulled between two narcissists uh luckily for all you listeners they are the narcissists we've already talked about so <laughs> refer to those sections for their uh goals and aims and things yeah the way that it affects Dak, I mentioned this a little bit, but I want to, I think this is the point to linger on. Yeah. Um, is that he understands what murder is and at Aldria's behest and at the pressure created by the Yerks being there, he is pushed into teaching his species to murder and uh, there's a bit where they're dancing on yurks to literally. kill them. Yeah. Li- no hyperbole. Literally dancing. Like, there might not have been music involved, but, like, movement-wise, that's what's happening. And by the end of the book, they're guerrilla fighters. And this is... And proud of it. Yeah, and and, and don't really understand it, and they're still proud of it because they're following instructions so so well. Yeah, um, gosh, it makes me uh, 
want to draw comparisons to things in other books. Yeah, so, same. I have one I want to talk to you about after the podcast is over. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not definitely. tonight. But. Yeah, not tonight. It's it's late. Um, not not for you, listeners, or at least not necessarily for you. But uh, it, just fun, past midnight, right? Yeah. Now for fun us. fun fact: we're recording. We record now very late on Fridays. Very late this for our, for Robin. This is our first attempt at recording late in the evening. Um, so back to what we can talk about in this book. Uh, this author has previously explored, um, in other books, the way that being innocent or childlike is the not, is not the same thing as being peaceful. By previously explored, I mean it is 2020, and by this point, they've previously explored it. At this point in the canon, they haven't totally fleshed that out yet. Um, but um, anyway, we we know it's a, it's a thing that the author is going to explore more later. I'm fuzzy on the continuity as to when it was in, in their thoughts. Um, I don't know. It's just... I, I'm feeling the weight Which of... Which part are you looking at? Teaches the species to murder is... Oh, uh, so continuity think, on so, that one. Yeah, so I... Uh, so, I would have to double check. So this was definitely published first, but I... So this is definitely published before the stuff that were... The Cree, if you've read the thing. It's... Cree is what we're dancing around. If you haven't read them, that won't mean anything to you. But this isn't our first, this isn't our only depiction in this series of murder and death inflicted by those who are not mentally able to understand what's happening. And since we have the perspective of the one Horkba here who is guaranteed to understand what's happening, it's hard to speak to how totally they do or don't get it yeah in later books we get explicitly how they don't get it in this book we just know that they are essentially playing copycat without any understanding of the implications of what they're doing there's no there's no existential understanding which and they might gradually learn more and in the framing device there are horkba here who like know how to do stuff yeah, but, but those Horkba here also kind of... I feel like growing up with a yerk in your head is a little bit different than just growing up and then, ooh, if I slash at something, it, it falls over and stops moving. Like, <laughs> there's a bunch of different framing there. There's the scene that, like, feels kind of endless, but is actually only a very short part of the book where... Dak is introduced to the concept that his blades could hurt somebody on purpose. And he's yes. the smart one. And the the paradigm shift he has to work through in his brain Oh my gosh. Is so difficult and so stressful. And and s- he, he's the one whose intelligence rivals the Arn canonically. Yeah, and we makes me we, wonder if he's smarter than Aldria, um, because the Arn are pretty dang smart. Well, I, I I want to avoid intelligence comparisons 
No, the only the only reason I'm bringing it up is because the Aldria, a lot of her entitlement and superiority is wrapped up in the idea that she is smarter than him and is benevolently teaching him all this stuff. But he just needs access to knowledge and training, and it just yeah. I'm I'm thinking more of like we don't want to just. I don't, there's, to me, I, I'm not trying to imply some kind of, like, hierarchy or better or worse. Yeah, I'm just okay. pushing back. I'm pushing back against the narrative that the Andalites have, where... Oh, oh, absolutely. The Andalites think they are the single best thing that ever happened to existence. <laughs> exactly. And so, for the seers among the hork to be possibly more intelligent than Andalites, or at least so close as makes no difference and fits within the variation of Andalite intelligence, because there's going to be a range. To me, that I think that's important existentially, maybe more so for the entire series than just this book. Um, yeah, but and, with and all we that, wanna... he's very, he is so smart, and and he ha- he didn't think about hurting someone on purpose ever because it just wasn't part of how he was raised because the people raising him didn't have the concept. And uh, I'm sorry if I'm going in circles a little bit. It just emotionally, the scene had so much weight. Oh, it's such a good scene. I I do want to put in a, a quick contextual note in case we have listeners who have not read the series but still want to just listen for any reason. So there is in this series and this is this is also and, and I'm I'm only really putting this in this discussion because this is a highlight a highlight episode. So we're not going to come back and you know give this a lot of extra topic in in other episodes this is probably our if we only do one. in three years it'll be that we dip back for the elemist chronicles because i'm yeah because it's a very good book uh well and, and so i just i want to point out that discussions of who is more intelligent than who is not accidentally taken having to happen with very ableist language because the way these characters are written the the characters and and the andalites as a species are incredibly ableist just incredibly so ableist. hyper ableist so when we are comparing in our discussion and saying like you know dak rivals a, a an an andalite for an intelligence i say it cuz that's going to be upsetting to the andalites <laughs> well it, and and it's not because we are looking at them and saying well if if dat can keep up with the the intelligent and like no it's because the andalites literally look at themselves and say we are the smartest we are the best uh, how dare you imply that we have disabled among us <laughs> Like that's a thing that happens. Oh. Like they they are <sighs> they are hyper ableist as a society, and so our discussion of I don't remember the number, but the one where Marco is a B. Is... That's it. Yeah, yeah. There, there's and and I think I think it is not an accident, and so our our discussion here is not a reflection of I hope. <laughs> Not a reflection of ableist ideas that we hold, but more that we are, we're looking at the way these characters are written and the Andalites are, are 
just ableist to a a a gross and not murderous degree but neglectfully death inducing degree i would say it's not great <laughs> no the they are i just think that's important in this discussion of of intelligence oh yeah yeah no i'm not I'm not trying to say that it's good or bad that he is or is not smarter or that that matters no, at all but it but matters it to all matters to the it matters to Aldria because uh and he he keeps pushing back on it oh yeah and i very much it's just it's just such a weird it's very well written i i like i like Kay's. she does a good job with i don't know just a lot of this stuff <laughs> Yeah, and we're saying K.A. because Catherine Applegate is a person who writes a bunch of books. K.A. Applegate is the pen name for Catherine and her husband, Michael, and whatever ghostwriters they have throughout the series. So that's why we're saying K.A., because that refers to this whole collective of everybody. <laughs> I'm also just trying to be more informal than K.A. Applegate. Like, it's fine. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but just K.A. instead of... Yeah. Yeah. That That um, is all I have for her. Or for him. Yep. For Doc Hemi. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to put that in. On to the wrap-up and ratings. For our gratuity rating. For... Name dropped out of my head. Epsilon. For... Epsilon. Uh, uh, what's the gratuity rating? Oh, man. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'd say the gratuity um, rating for okay, what so, happened and what he's doing. So here's the thing. I, I am probably going to, well, this is hard because I think at some severe. level yeah i think it's well this is the this is the struggle that's going on in my head because so my may i say my thought or my thought is it's mild for what's happening to him but he thinks it's severe and it's severe for what he's doing because he thinks his thing was severe I was actually going to argue it from a little bit more reader-centric perspective. I'm debating in my head whether it's severe because of body horror content and body takeover content. Or if it's mild because of it because of not being very graphic and it's being very treated very sci-fi, very um just just real mild language. Um, I wasn't thinking uh, about Epsilon's opinion at all. <laughs> no, 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 not, not his opinion. I was just, uh, we have technically two different aspects of his topic. The two parts of his topic are what happened to him and what he did to other people. Yeah, that's true. I'm just that, thinking. That was my split of, I think what happened to him was mild and is depicted mildly. Mm, and, and what, what he, he did, did to other people, other people was severe and is depicted somewhere between moderate and severe. My only hesitation on putting it on severe would be because it's the a, rest it's of a series is way darker than this. 
but also like Animorphs is so has some such pretty severe topics, but they're written in such a way that they're not. That's what the care rating is for. Seven. <sighs> okay, so moderate. That's true because it doesn't make it feel like it's happening to you. It yeah, it doesn't make it. it it's very it's very removed, but very okay. descriptive removed from the reader language. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. Uh if you Aldria for gratuity uh somewhere between moderate and severe. Ah. Uh, mm. Moderate. It's so hard. These are so light. They're just so quick. I I think moderate. Yeah. It, it it kind of adds up. It it kind of adds up, and again, like emotionally, the impact we get a very good view of its emotional impact on Aldria. But as a reader, I'd say there's one scene that I have no qualms about saying is severe. Okay, but most of it is moderate. Um. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm okay with I'm okay with moderate because I also I also feel like this is one of those series where as a child if I were asked this question I would have said mild. There there is something to be said. And like I know this is this is a beloved child series that children read for kicks. And I just feel like having an adult perspective on it makes it more darker because we as adults have more of a perspective on the topics i guess the gratuity rating is the one where i've started to feel more and more like i do the gratuity rating and then you ask me to tweak it and i say yes or no because um sorry your sense is it is skewed it is skewed yes but i'm i'm saying it was severe the whole time and it is a, that's the whole but the whole premise of this is that trauma in books can be a safe way to process big emotions even though the trauma itself is severe okay all right okay that's fair right yeah it's a safe place to process this these are great books oh they're beautiful that <laughs> yeah uh you either haven't read them or you love these books like i've never met someone who's ambivalent about animorphs i've met people who are hostile because they just thought they were weird but those people didn't read them they just looked at the covers if you read them and if you read them like if you made it past book five and you didn't quit because of body horror our our general survey or casual survey of just knowing people that we've talked to is you either read these and really liked them or didn't or barely read them i just would like i would like all of our listeners to know that our assistant editor senior assistant editor just came up to say hi hello senior assistant editor uh she is super excited to possibly have her purring picked up on the mic <laughs> we'll see when I go back to listen to this later. 
I don't hear it, so we'll see. All right. So then Dak. Uh, severe. Severe. It's, it's. It's. This one I have no qualms about saying severe. Yep. It, it's severe. Um. Uh, now, is the trauma integral to the plot? Yes, all around? No. no. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Cool. Okay, so one by Here's... one if it's not yes, all around. Uh, oh, is... Oh, wait. Epsilon's is not integral. Esplan, we had a whole conversation about whether or not it was even trauma. Yeah, I guess if we had a whole conversation about whether or not it was in the plot, then yeah. it's probably irrelevant. I would say yeah. as... Like, and, and also as a background book... We didn't need this character here. That's true. We didn't true. even need his perspective. We didn't even need his whole storyline. This is a three narrator book. It could have been a one narrator book. Okay. Because he's irrelevant. That's a good point. Uh, Don't I... tell him I said that because then he'll morph something and <laughs> devour me. But also... <laughs> Yeah. I, I think it's a. I think he's irrelevant. Yeah, he would hard disagree with you on that. Uh, he would hard disagree <laughs> on you. The, he would hard disagree. individuality of any kind. <laughs> he would hard disagree with me having my own human thoughts still. Yeah. So like, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm vetoing him. No, I, yeah, I think he's irrelevant. Yep. Uh, I think he's interesting. He makes the book more interesting, but he's irrelevant to the plot. Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. Uh, take take that, Yerk. No, I'm just kidding. I guess as long as the bad thing still happened, it really didn't matter which of the million Yerks did it or yep. whether we heard from them. Interesting. Yep. Uh, oh, his big contribution is, I think there's four of them. Honestly, his his big contribution is... Just us finding out more of his backstory. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's got like a Forrest Gump, I was here, sort of a <laughs> feel. Yeah, but we also we also kind of learn, we learn a little bit more about the Yurk hierarchy and structure and it, it builds a bunch more of, about them as a species. It's a, it builds you know, a when, lot of cool things about the world, but if you only read this book, you didn't need him. Like, let's, let's put you it didn't this need way. His perspective. We, we rated his trauma as moderate. He could have been not a um he could have been not a a narrator character and we would have said he is backstory or off screen. Yeah. Like and it wouldn't have hurt the plot. It it would have done it would not have hurt the plot at all. This this is very much a very cool background story where we are also peppered in with just a little bit of personal and also species history. Like he's irrelevant. <laughs> Uh, all right all right we've given him enough of our time no more yes. no no, no more, more no more to the ir irrelevant <laughs> other than the other ratings okay aldria is it's integral integral yeah okay drives the plot all right uh dakami also integral integral um was the trauma treated with care for epsilon i think so i think yes yeah it's i think yes and i think i think yes because we didn't even get 
like this 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 whole series all of the trauma is treated with care like this 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 series and this is in our our this will be in all of our content well it'll actually be in our content warning about him even though we didn't really like get into it just as a a general anamorphs content warning um there's a lot of body horror in this book just in this whole series just a lot and it's treated with so much care also we don't consider that a spoiler because if you looked at the covers of literally any of these you know that it's the whole plot it the yeah (laughs) It's the whole hook of the series is that kids transform into animals and we like read about it happening. Like yeah, it it's it it's <laughs> like Robin said, it's given away on every single cover. And if you flip through uh a lot of the books, it'll you'll get to see it in, in like on the bottom of the form thing. on the bottom of the pages. I'm reading PDFs uh, for this, so I had forgotten about aw. that. It's like, oh yeah. I I had f- <laughs> I actually have it in my my copy of the Hork Bahir Chronicles. Oh, yeah, yeah. My- and I pulled it out and was just like, yes. <laughs> I yeah. wish more oh, it's books in the Hork Bahir- like this. It's in the Hork Bahir Chronicles. I had just read. Yeah, and, and even for as many discussions of it as there are, like I would argue that every single book it's treated either just with care or with enough care. Like these are not horrific there's aren't these aren't horror books. They're like they're like content wise, they should be. But the way they're written, nope. So yeah, I think it was definitely treated with care. Uh Aldria. I think also treated with care. Yeah, and same for Dak. Even that one scene. I I think Dak was treated with enough. Uh, only, only because of that one scene that we had talked about where he had that whole moment of realization. Oh, yeah. Like, he, has some pretty of... good, he has some pretty good existential realizations in here, and I don't think they're traumatic for the reader because I do think they're treated with enough care. But I think that he definitely goes through them on screen, which I, I think, like, to I think those particular topics... To have been totally just treated with care would have had to have been almost off screen, or or in much couchier language. All right, point of view, trauma and aftermath. Our points of view for the three traumas are are them. <laughs> it's them. Uh, for each of them, we get some of the others witnessing their thing. Yes. Um. But, like, it's it's these three characters, we only have their perspective for yeah. each of their things. We have the most on their perspective. Uh, weirdly, for Aldria's, we have the most from Dak's perspective, because Aldria doesn't lend a lot of her internal monologue to the stuff that is so problematic. Yeah. So, it... it in terms of depicting th- what we talked about, it skews toward Dak, but... Yeah, but we also skewed toward Dak. Yeah. <laughs> we, I think just as a... We skewed... Or, or I, I'll, let, me, let me be specific. I skewed toward Dak. Yeah. Yeah. Nikki skewed toward... <laughs> that was toward, my fault. <laughs> ...toward Dak, which is fine. Uh, but they are the points of view for the trauma, the aftermath, the everything. Dak... Dak, to me, is my favorite tragic uh, 
character in Shakespeare literature. I'm just kidding. He's not the tragic one. (laughs) It's okay. I had a wild left field take where I wanted to argue that the point of view is actually the narrator in the framing device. But it's okay. We we don't. We can. We don't get this. Is a joke answer. It's a joke answer. It's fine. I was like, could we? No. No. No, No, we can't. Uh, That doesn't. Yeah. That's uh, a very good joke, but also I, I'm going to veto it. <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's a uh, real answer. Do you have an aspiring writer tip? Yes, I do. What is it? This is... And I, I do want to... I said this at one point in one of our topics, but I'm going to kind of state it here as, as part of my my aspiring writer tip. I just want to let our audience know, kind of a reminder, this is a highlight episode so my aspiring writer tip is geared toward the series as a whole uh and i have read the entire series a lot many times in my lifetime my aspiring writer tip is that subjects and topics and stories that you want to tell don't belong to specific genres. K.A. Applegate does a very, very, very beautiful job of writing almost a superhero style save the day, fight the fight, have not magic powers, but scientifically magic, transformational power, superpowers. Sufficiently advanced technology, indistinguishable from, indistinguishable from magic, that whole deal. Thank you, Babylon 5. You'll live forever in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is not a joke. Uh, <laughs> I love Babylon 5. But anyways, <sighs> K. Applegate takes a horror story. It's a horror story. It's an aliens take over humanity story. It's a parasites take over sentient, sentient parasites take over sentient hosts horror story. It's a bloodshed and warfare horror story. It's a child warrior horror story. K.A. Applegate takes a lot of horror trope, horror genre stories and turns them into superhero books. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's easy to read. It's a thing that is, is kind of aimed at middle school ish. But like when I was in grade school, I had a lot of friends that were reading these already. It's not traumatic for kids. It's fun to read. It's fun to read. It's beautiful. It's not a horror story, but it is a horror story, but it's not a horror genre book. And it's not, and this is, I I don't want to give spoilers, but not every ending in this series is happy. And there's a lot of endings in this series. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different plot lines we're following, and not all of them are happy. They don't always save the day. It's not always a success. And it's still not a horror genre, but it's a horror story. And I just want to to just say, like, 
I have a lot, I have a lot of writer, I have multiple writer friends, and I've heard a lot of times from different various writers, whether I know them personally or not, that sometimes it's very, very hard to put out your writing when you're not writing that thing that you know is expected of you, especially when you set out to write this genre, you feel like there are rules that you have to subscribe to. And my, my writer tip is that you don't have to follow those rules. If you have a story you want to tell and you have a genre that you want to tell it in, they don't have to match. They really don't. And this is a very good example of it being done incredibly well. So that's 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 my tip for this series is, you know, if you want to write the story, do it. And, and it's possible to write it in the genre rules and still tell your story from a different perspective or a different genre go for it write the story you want to write <laughs> favorite non-traumatic thing about the book <laughs> about this book yeah uh i want you to go first because i'm curious if we're gonna end up with the same one even though i think we won't um uh, oh I... did you not have one yet <laughs> I, I was taking a minute because i didn't have one yet okay. what did you have Sorry. So I had two. Okay. If that's if that's permissible. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first one is just I really like the description of the Hork Bahir's planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Squish like a ripe ukamelon. <laughs> <laughs> and I had this. I have a mental image that I have held on to because it's also described as being, I think, red. Yeah. On the outside with like deep blue interior. So I've always in my head kind of pictured a cantaloupe with a red rind and it's been stepped on so it's cracked open and the orange pulp inside is actually blue. Ugh. Huh. Okay. That was my childhood image when I read this book and I think it is it, oh and f- I should add floating in space inside an asteroid belt for some reason. That's what like 12 year old me or whatever thought was great well they did mention asteroids so oh did they so i didn't pull that out it was of the an asteroid off. that smashed it and made oh it that's look like that you know what that that's is not out of nowhere that is probably that I makes it. sense uh as to why i would have hooked onto that imagery yeah but i yeah. i just had this picture of a cantaloupe that had been squished and popped yeah. open and for some reason i just really like that picture i think it's pretty i i wish i Maybe someday I'll try and paint it or draw it because it's very visceral. It's very vivid in my head. Uh, my second favorite thing, favorite non-traumatic thing about this book is I really just love Dakami showing Aldria how to fly through the trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just, I just really, re- cool. it's really cool. I love the descriptions of how the trees are and function and how they are and function. And without spoilers, I just want to say I just really like how Dakami is portrayed and how that fun thing is portrayed. And I I think it's a beautiful moment. (laughs) I thought of a thing. Technically not traumatic. I really like usually I'm the one saying that this is a this is a twist. I really like the description of all the monsters that the Arn created. Oh. Uh, especially the one that is three feet tall and 20, and 20 feet, feet wide. wide. 
and that's <laughs> and it's got and it's got mouths and that's that's what we know about it. Oh my god. Um, okay. If anybody, I just want everybody to know also if anyone... one of those creatures is the morph from book 11. Yes. <gasps> yes. Ah. Yes it is. Yes it is. Yep. So I I just want everyone to know that uh, when Robin is talking about that uh, twenty foot wide, three feet tall monster, uh, if anyone has seen the Monster Factory series by Polygon, the Spore episode, where the <laughs> Griffin makes a creature that is just a tube with like a lot of mouths and it drifts into food, that it's that my mental image is like that except no spikes and giant <laughs> and not a one-celled organism <laughs> or not not a it's not one cell but it's they're microscopic and in, in that video at that point because it's spore it's like stage one but yeah <laughs> that that's a I, that's my mental image for that all right that's all i have did you have anything else if not then nope. we'll say goodbye to our listeners goodbye listeners <laughs> Goodbye, and please join us in a fortnight. We're so happy to have you. Uh, bye! All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at bookstatburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash bookstatburn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.